Welcome to the Founder to Mentor podcast. My name is Mike Fada. I'm an entrepreneur with multiple nine-figure exits and a passion for health and mentorship. Join me on a journey where I connect with world-class founder mentors to inspire your personal and professional growth. Let's jump into it. Welcome to Founder to Mentor, Mary. Thanks, Mike. I'm so excited to be here. Can you start us off? Can you give us an intro on yourself and on Sampler? Yeah. So I'm Marie Chevrier. I'm the founder at Sampler. At Sampler, we help consumer packaged good brands of all shapes and sizes and across every category, distribute product samples in more targeted and measurable ways. Started the business in 2013 with the vision to really make product sampling more programmatic, more targeted, and more measurable. But as the vision has really continued to expand over the the last nine years, and now I feel like uh, we do much more than just product sampling and digitizing the product sampling space. We're really focused in how we help brands build super personalized relationship with consumers. Uh, So it's been a super, super exciting journey. Uh, I'm based out of Toronto, but we have a distributed team all over Canada. Uh, And I'm, yeah, I can't wait to tell you more about where we're up to. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And uh, what, uh, what got you in the business? So I was a brand ambassador handing out free product samples, uh, both uh, in grocery stores, but also on street corners at events. And I remember I was still in university then, but I remember the aha moment where I said to myself, like, this is crazy. I'm giving away this super valuable product to whoever walks by. And I am ask, I, I don't capture any of their feedback. I have no idea whether or not that sample will convert to a purchase. And there's just such a large data opportunity uh, to be captured here. Now, I was very young and I didn't really know at the time that my aha moment was actually a business idea. Uh, so I went into uh, agency, worked a few years in um, at J. Walter Thompson, where I developed a lot of understanding on how to serve clients and how to do digital marketing for clients. And eventually I said to myself, you know what, I have an itch to become an entrepreneur. So I applied for a role Um, as a CMO at a small startup that was backed by Rocket Internet. And very quickly, I went from um, CMO of one startup to an entrepreneur in residence that uh, circulated across three different business models in New York City. So got like the opportunity of a lifetime to ultimately go learn how to build businesses There I worked on HelloFresh, uh, which was obviously a really fast growth company, and also on Glossybox, which was, again, a a model in in the sampling space. And I just fell in love with entrepreneurship and just decided uh, after a couple of years there that I wanted to start something from scratch. So that's that's when I came back to Canada and, and started Sampler. Did you ever think about a, a co-founder or like a lot of entrepreneurs kind of, you know, know their own skills and then kind of think, do, do you need to start it with someone else? Yeah. So I have absolutely zero, absolutely zero technical background. So starting a tech company without an engineering background was super scary. So actually I did have in the early days, um, a partner that started the business with me, his name is Christian. And he actually was the only developer I knew in the entire world. And he was based out of Germany. I had met him through my time at Rocket. And I'll remember, like, I pitched him on a quick slide deck of, like, 
what the vision of Sampler was. And he joined me for pure equity stake early on. Him and I separated ways uh, about a one year in when uh, our investors actually wanted him to move to Canada if we they were going to fund. Um, and so for that reason, most people don't know this story or haven't had the opportunity to meet Christian, but I, I did actually start the early days uh, with a, with a, a co-founder. But uh, yeah, that's the funny story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just talked about uh, investor. How, uh, how have you financed the business to date? Yeah, so I was um, really lucky. Well, I guess I, I don't like the word lucky, so I'm not going to say lucky. I was I had strong conviction early on that you know the best way uh, to fund the business and it was to focus on selling. Um, I'm I'm a sales CEO, and so very early sampler uh, had clients and pretty impressive clients, some clients that in, in the mid market that were quite recognizable. So I didn't know anything about like how to fund a business. And so I, I participated in a boot camp that was actually put together by Google. It was called Google for Entrepreneurs. I uh, startup next Google for Entrepreneurs. I don't think it's around anymore. But the idea was that you you would go through this boot camp and pitch your idea in front of peer group that is like that wasn't tech and they would basically rip into you <laughs> every week and just help you refine your pitch um and at the end they brought all these investors in to watch the the pitch and um i ended up winning being the winning pitch and met uh, Ryerson DMZ and as well as uh, Michelle McBain, who at the time was at uh, Mars IF and uh, now is uh, the managing director of uh, Scale Up Venture or Stand Up Ventures. Sorry. Um, so Stand Up Ventures. Um, so Michelle, uh, right at that moment, would, like pulled me aside and was like, are you actually actively looking? Let me get you in. And I, I did my first pitch to Michelle without a financial model with like rough, ugly slides. Uh, and uh, she helped me through. Like she literally sat with me and created my first financial model and and then um, gave us seed funding. Uh, and Ryerson joined and we had the BDC, we had EDC. Um, so we've, you know, that one pitch competition, like really... Uh, started our funding journey. That's awesome, and I, you know I've been part of uh, some of those in in, uh, in some way. I think it's it's uh, uh, yeah, it, it's one of those great examples of like practice makes perfect. It's an exercise. You come 100%. up and you start pitch your business in two minutes or five minutes or whatever, and the first time entrepreneurs usually are like just you know shit the bed or or just don't know right and like have a have a have a rough experience with it, and then you know after. 50 times of doing it or a hundred times of doing it. And people saying like, no, not that, that didn't make any sense or that's not important. And, and then you, it's a muscle, you know, and, and then all yeah. of a sudden you're in an elevator with someone and you, and you just land your like perfect uh, elevator pitch cause you've practiced it. So. Uh, yeah. And one funny like thing about the biggest learning that I had through that is that I wasn't even telling in my pitch, I wasn't telling people that I had these like crazy clients and like that I had all this these sales and like the the people were like start with this like I have world leading brands that are already leveraging you know it, like little things like this that sometimes like maybe you you don't even realize is like 
was your secret sauce. So awesome. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what was your first big client and, and how did you, uh, how did you land them? Yeah. So I'd say like my first tier one client, like, you know, top 100 brand uh, was L'Oreal. So it was just a bit after we got funded. I always remember I was in San Francisco. Um, actually, it was along the, along the time that I was getting funded. Yeah, because I was in San Francisco to complete the round. And I was in an Airbnb, it was 3am. And I got a cell phone call like, um, from Europe. And I was like, who is calling me from Europe, but I picked up like, hello. And, and the person was like the global brand director for the body shop, uh, which at the time was owned by L'Oreal. And she literally in the first five minutes was like, I'm looking to launch a campaign in 12 different countries. Is this something your company can help with? And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so I remember I got out of bed, pulled out my computer, was like, can you get on a quick demo and like did a, a demo at 3 a.m. in San Francisco? So it was uh, it was pretty neat to uh, uh and we did land it, and we we launched uh, we launched in twelve countries uh, with the body shop that was our first big client, and it was an international campaign. Wow, uh, that's got to be in your book one day because that's a, <laughs> that's a pretty that's a pretty scrappy story. Uh, but one of those one of those great examples of like if you would have not answered the call, or if you wouldn't have jumped, if you wouldn't have been so scrappy and like on it, um, maybe that yeah, all, maybe it just all wouldn't have developed like that. Um, for sure. Um, what's it been like for, so, you know, like significant uh, investors and, and, and support, um, you know, as a, as a woman entrepreneur, uh, it's in, it's in, you know, the, the stats are, are kind of low, right. For getting funded as a woman entrepreneur. Um, have you had any uh, um, instances where um, you've been challenged kind of in that way, or you felt the kind of pressures? Uh, I know even that, you know, you're, you're openly of like, uh, your mom and uh, openly taking time as a, as an entrepreneur in maternity leave. And have there been, have you felt those pressures uh, as a, as a woman entrepreneur? And a hundred percent. Yeah. So I will say the, the biggest issue early on was that my business was portrayed as a cute woman's business. Like I, I would often go into investor meetings and uh, people would say, oh, my wife likes free samples. And then I'd be like, okay, your wife likes free samples, but like, so do like the largest brands in the world. And it's a key vehicle they're using to actually build their companies. So like, let's focus on that. Right. And, um, and so I think that that was a, that was always a stigma I had to play against is like, um, it's something that that's oftentimes, unfortunately, the boardrooms were filled with people who, uh, who potentially like with men who potentially had an interface with, uh, with samples as much as, as women have, um, and just assume that it, that, you know, it was maybe something that they didn't connect to it as much. Right. So I think eventually I, I learned how to position it a little bit more on the business side of it and like really help highlight the, the story. But I, I would say, I would say that was always a, a bit of a disadvantage. Um, and I think that's that's starting to change. Thank God we have like incredible uh, women businesses that have been built and unicorns that that have like really shown the way to uh, to women being able to scale large businesses. But uh, but I would say like nine years ago, it definitely wasn't 
wasn't there. I have really leaned in to the really strong network of women investors and and funds dedicated to women. Um, For example, we are uh, one of uh, the BDC Women in Tech Investments. Uh, we have an investment from an amazing angel group called the 51. They're all, they also have a fund, but they also have a series of angels who are investing in women specifically and, um, and stand-up ventures that I, um, that I mentioned um, again. And, and so as much as the early days were a little bit more difficult, I feel like there is a lot of women dedicated support now that especially Canadian companies can tap into. And um, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, me too. I think it's, uh, it's more uh, politically correct to, uh, to, to support, you know, and, and, and diversity and, and being equal or it's, it's trending now, like whatever the reason is, I think companies can actually say, Hey, we're proud to support more women uh, yeah. instead of before going, you know, yeah. kind of it's sad it. that it had to become a trend, but at the same time, like we, we needed to create, I always said that the best way to develop a woman entrepreneurs like ecosystem is to make sure that we support women getting to like those final stages of like selling their business for a really really great outcome for investors or not selling their business and building an empire and a, like a longstanding proud uh, like Canadian company or American company, whatever. Um, I, I think, I think we just, it's unfortunately women got into building tech businesses later than men. And we needed to kind of go through these growth motions. And I'm, I'm excited to be part of the, the women that saw this change happen. There's so much still to happen, but I, I've noticed the difference for sure. Yeah, me too. Can you uh, can you give us an overview of where Sampler's at now? Yeah, so I don't think, I think you'll agree for being in CPG and retail yourself that uh, it feels like our industry was hit with like every single accelerator, decelerator, accelerator, decelerator you could think of in the last two years. So um, for for us, um, what I've learned over the last few years is a ton, ton of lessons on like how to predict or try to predict the market, but then also have like a great um, understanding of okay, when shit hits the fan, because it will, uh, like, what, what are my levers? What are my, like, what, how should I be thinking about it? And how do I, um, like, plan ahead for eventual eventualities, and different scenarios. Um, So like scenario planning, right. Um, And so I feel like we just got out of like, a grind, like a really big grind of like, oh, the pandemic is going to force brands to move to digital channels. Great. Let's like, let's double down to, oh, supply chain is going to really impact the fact that brands can't get products on shelves. Therefore, they're not creating samples to, oh, now we're all not thinking of e-commerce. We're thinking of omni-channel to like, I just feel like everything's just been so all over the place. Um, but I feel like now that we've gone through all of these different phases, I am hopeful that marketers have like learned a ton 
and they're going to focus. And I think that next year will be a huge year of focus. And so for sampler two, it's going to be a year of focus. We're going to really be focused on how do we help marketers understand how one sampling program can help them with five, six, seven different challenges and really, really help them make the most out of the platform. Because unfortunately, I feel like people were so distracted over the last few years that they were using 10% of our features. They were using like just too little. They weren't using it as strategically as I as we want them to, right? So we'll be really focused at empowering our brands to leverage the platform and, and its use cases the best way. Um, and we're going to be bolder. I think you're going to see like a lot of us next year and I'm really excited about it. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be an exciting, bold time for Sampler next year. <laughs> oh. oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, unpack uh, unpack it a little bit for me because I, I think I, I've had my personal learning. Um, you know, um, it, it's it's more, and you talked a little bit about it, but it, you know, your innovation it's more than just sampling. Like you're 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 a data company, you're a brand builder. Like you know, if if brands were using a hundred percent of what Sampler has to offer, yeah. what 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 does that look like? Yeah, great question. So I think we all know that the the shopper journey is incredibly omni-channel, right? Like people are shopping everywhere. They're shopping on their mobile devices. They're they're shopping when they're talking to friends. They're shopping on Instagram. They're they're shopping everywhere. They're always thinking about what to buy. At the same time, um, with all this access to information, loyalty is like really a challenge because um, ultimately you have recession that is giving price pressures. Consumers are changing their shopper behaviors because of that. Um, and so for me, the biggest, most important priority for, for marketers today is how do I develop a deeper engagement with every single one of my, my customers at scale, right? And so that to me starts from owning the one-to-one relationship with brands. And that's easy in the early stages, right? You you. You meet people at the farmer's market, you uh, develop a relationship, maybe maybe you send them free samples via the mail. It's scalable. It's, it's not scalable, but it's, it's something you could do on a small scale. At large scale, it means literally building your CRM list, um, creating personalized touch points with these consumers, and being literally everywhere that your brand could be top of mind. So it means content. It means distribution. It means really, really strong content and and journeys that bring the consumer on the path to purchase. So on Sampler, a brand can come on and they can say, my target market is the organic organic eater who um, wants an extra bit of protein on their cereal, right? (laughs) So like cereal um, uh, and uh, looks for protein packed, uh, protein packed uh, ingredients, you can literally find those those specific shoppers on sampler because of the way our database is set up to really help brands go deep on the CPG category. Consumers share uh, on average 20 data points per uh, 25, I think we're at uh, or 25 dimensions of who they are as a shopper on sampler. That amounts to half a billion first-party data points on our platform. Now, you'll leverage all this data to connect with the right consumer online. 
We'll send them an invitation to try our product. We'll ship that product over to them in a in the physical world, the real world. They'll receive it in a box. It'll be this beautiful unpack unboxing experience. Two days before they receive the product, let's touch base with them. Let's tell them about the brand values. Let's tell them exactly what uh, your brand stand for, stands for. When they receive the package, let's make sure that they also receive an email and in the package, there's clear indication as to how to use the product, how to really enjoy the product, what are the recipes. And then let's actually take all of the data that we collected and also um, and, and, and bring that back to your own systems immediately so that you can um, start adding other cadences and touch points. A few weeks later, um, we'll check in with the consumer and say, hey, how did you enjoy that product? Did you have a positive experience, a negative experience? Let's actually start analyzing all of this in our really turnkey machine learning powered dashboard with all the bells and whistles that you can think of and start thinking about what are the audiences that are actually reacting to our product best and how do we segment their experience moving forward? If Joe and a bunch of other Joes didn't like the taste, what are we telling them? Are we sending them another trial? Are we sending them another another flavor? Or do we abandon them? Like those are legit decisions you have to make. So our platform literally makes that all turnkey. It's all automated. It's like it's like the Clavio of product sampling. <laughs> and it it's makes product sampling a truly strategic asset in how you build your strategic plans. Um, um, and that's just one use case of how you can use us. But we also have, and this is what I'm most excited about, we've taken that technology and we've white labeled it for Target. We've white labeled it for Kroger. And so our new retailer programs allow brands to do that specifically with the loyalty shoppers of the retailers. So you can ex- you can now do the same thing, but by channel. So you could do that for your own D2C, but you could also do it across all of your retail partners. That's a marketer's dream. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. So it's the thing is, it's until there's like a... a digital sampling expert in every organization, that depth of feature usage is really hard to get to. And that's like, that's my biggest challenge. Um, but I believe there will be. <laughs> the world's definitely going that way. So um, yeah, yeah. Just the expertise, I think, has to get uh, caught up within the uh, within the brands. Exactly. You, you spoke to it there a little bit, you know, like high protein on cereal, uh, you know, just as, a, as, as an example. But what, what are some of the um, consumer trends that uh, that you're seeing um, mm. as of as of as of late? And where do you you know, where, where do you see some of those being longstanding trends over the next little while? Well, I am fascinated by by how recessions build different patterns and behaviors. I believe that what we're about to see is a lot of innovation in in uh, self-care, the self-care category. When recessions happen, people just don't go to the spa anymore. They just would rather do their own face masks or people don't get, get their nails done or hair done as often because that's one of the areas that we see people cut 
Um, so there was a really great report that I recommend that IRI put out. Um, it's a report on historical lessons learned for CPG in the last recession. And in the last recession, what happened is like Chobani like blew up and Chobani blew up because people weren't going out to eat breakfast anymore. Typically people before the recession would pick up a Starbucks sandwich on the way to work, but they didn't want to do that anymore. So Chobani felt like, you know, another version of a parfait that was like better for you and all of that. And so I think that if you take a look at the categories that typically win in recessions, I think that that's where most of the innovation will come from because the sad part is, is that the, the, most companies will not innovate during this time. We will see a, a lack of a, a, a no increase in innovation. And there typically had been, we'd been trending an increase in, in innovation. So I think it's going to slow down, um, but it'll be a very key moment for a lot of categories, personal care being a big one. Yeah. Well, you know, as, as an entrepreneur, it kind of, it's been, you know, 20, it went through the last recession. We found exactly that. Like it, it was very positive for, Maybe we we rode that Chobani uh, parfait uh, yeah. wave too because hemp hearts were um, you know a staple. But I think yeah, consumers go back to the home and make sure their home is sound and solid. Uh, you can even see that in the construction industry rises. Like people need to, your house, your your, your roof yeah. over your head has to be has to be uh, um, the first place that they're spending, and then and then kind of everything around that before kind of going out or traveling and 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 such. So and that's why I really believe that at home trial is so important during that time and, and developing those routines. So, yeah, yeah. should, should be complimentary <laughs> to, uh, to, to sampler for sure. You, uh, you mentioned the, uh, your, your, like the start of your first customer kind of scrappiness, but you know, how do you think about kind of being, um, scrappy as, as you've, as you've scaled a uh, sampler? Do you have, do you have examples that, uh, that you kind of still bring to the business today of how you guys try to, a punch above your your weight for where the business is now? Oh my God, so many. Um, like even just yesterday, we got a brief that was like really big, <laughs> really, really big. And, you know, we had to ask ourselves like, okay, how do we do this? Um, and how do we make sure that we can execute this four times larger deal than we typically do. And, you know, the, I, I think that if you, if you like what we ended up landing on is like, if not now, when, um, and just like, let's go, like, let's just do it. And like, that's what we've been waiting for. Right. So, um, I think that's, that's an example of where the company is always, um, like we're always kind of, uh, we, we have that mentality. And I, I love that. I was so proud of the team for coming to that. And it's gonna, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard. But like, everyone was like, incredibly commercially minded as it as it and in growth minded. So I love that. But for me as a founder, like maybe just to get like more specific, uh, for me, like my special skill as a as a leader, I think is that I have a, a really good ability to go from super strategic to super nitty gritty, like, let me get the thing done. And a good example of that is like, I said out to the team, I said, next year, Sampler needs to come out bolder, we need to show up in a certain way. And unfortunately, because um, a teammate left, um, I had no one to handle what that meant from a brand perspective. 
And so I've been working with uh, a designer for the last month with to build a new brand look and feel. And like, that's super nitty gritty. Like I, I literally this morning, I was like, the logo should never be used on a dark background and like creating those types of rules, like crazy stuff. But I love that. It's so fun. I so I love I love like the ability to just be able to like go back into the detail. It gives me so much perspective. And I think I think it's um, the right mindset um, for the team to see like no job is above everyone when we're all kind of trying to achieve the same thing. But um, yeah, we're we're going into this year, we're just thinking bigger. We're saying yes to bigger things. We're taking risks. And uh, I think it's a good time to do that. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. And there, you know, in business, really, I think it is about preparedness, but we're never really truly prepared. So how much do you say some of my worst situations um, over the years were saying no to things um, just because I thought that we weren't prepared. And, and every time that I uh, said yes to something, even when we weren't fully prepared and then it, it forced that preparedness or it forced exactly. us to double down where all the times, if I look back on it, it was the, it was the big vertical growth piece. And, uh, um, because you know, you got to take the risk. You have to take the risk. Yeah. yeah. I love how you summarize that. That's, that's exactly it. If you don't push yourself like, how are you ever going to be prepared? Because no one has time for preparation. <laughs> no, we, I, you know, when we first launched hemp protein powder, um, we were we were literally working at a at a facility um, in in Manitoba to um, extract the protein out of out of the hemp seed cake, and uh, and we had been working on it for a couple of weeks, and um, and I was excited about it because we were kind of almost there. And, uh, I had just won an award. And so the newspaper was, uh, interviewing me and they said, what's new. And, and as an entrepreneur, I couldn't help myself. I was like, oh, we're, we're launching hemp protein powder. And so then the next day in the paper, <laughs> hemp protein powder, uh, came as like, oh, man, to harvest newest products and be hemp protein powder. And then obviously uh, you know, a flood of people like, well, okay, we want it. We want, it. you know, like give it to us. And it wasn't, it wasn't ready. And I, and it was just one of those moments. I'm like, okay. Now we have to step up into that and, and I want, you know, weekends and time and extra focus to the team to, to get that done. Um, but that's like one example of over promising, but then over delivering on that promise yeah. and, and, and having to step up into, uh, into that next stage of, uh, of business growth. And, and I think every entrepreneur has little moments and, and opportunities like that, whether you're just starting out or, or your, your business is scaling and, and. Yeah. Um, and I believe that, you know, coming into a recession or living in recessionary times as a, as a business, you have to do those things. If you, if you, mm -hmm. if you hold back and say, oh, we're going to just protect ourselves through this time, your competitors are going to, are going to lap you. You're going to, you're going to be years behind in, in the kind of growth. So, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's very much, uh, very much how I feel too. And, you know, that's a lot of, of the role, right. Is the, like the board wants to know, like, what's our strategy next year? Like, are we going to double down? Are we going to, are we going to like be, be quiet and like let the, let the bad times uh, go by. And it's like, no way. Um, you know, we didn't, I, I didn't start a business to, to sit on the sidelines. So yeah. Great companies are built in hard times. Uh, for mm -hmm. sure. And that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's been exactly my experience too. What are some of your, you know, you're in the brand business, you're, you're helping all these brands. Uh, what, what are some of your favorite brands to watch that, uh, that, that give you inspiration or, or, or give you kind of motivation in, in your work? 
Yeah. Well, I, you talk about them often, but I just love midday squares and how they're building, building a brand around content and just like true, genuine connection with their customer. I think they're a wonderful example of that. And, um, I'm wearing the shirt, by the way. Yeah. I, oh, there. I didn't even notice. The advertisement wearing the, wearing the t-shirt. I yeah. didn't. I didn't even notice, which is crazy because it's right there. But, um, but there. Um, you're obviously um, a huge fan too. So I, I, I just think it's very. Their approach is so unique. Um, and it's, it's what brands need need to do right now. It comes down to that. So. Yeah, I think that's one. I also am like really in love with, and I I like to I, I don't mentor enough, but I I am supposed to. We they've been very busy uh, with with scout canning. I I just love the sustainability uh, mission that they're on for for seafood sustainability, and um, and so I'm inspired by their sustainability mission. Um, again, like another example of where. They're building. They've, they're building a very delicious product, but at the end of the day, too, there, there's this greater reason why I pick up Scout on on the shelves, and I and I love that. So, I love mission driven brands, and um, yeah, so those are two. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I like the Scout products. I've uh, I've had some of them uh, bringing that uh, sea tutory uh, board experience into uh, into the home as. They make it pretty easy and 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 sustainable, which is great. Yeah, yeah. What, uh, your your thoughts on uh, you put yourself out there and uh, you know on a personal brand, but what, what's your what's your thoughts on uh, on founder personal brands and and uh, and then and like kind of what's what's your plan there? I guess from a from yeah from how you're uh, how you're out there. Yeah, it's so hard to put out content. Like it's a, it's such a, it's a full time job in itself. And like, but I try to anytime that I have a like an idea um, or like a thought that I think could be useful, I try and put it out. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. My personal personal ammo has been like being really honest about the the struggles of building a business, building a business as a mom, building a business as a woman, building a business in general. And I try and be very, very genuine about it. I think there's a lot of like Instagram real type content on the, out there that just makes it, um, I, I've read content that like where, you know, after a few days, you just see all your friends doing awesome stuff and you're like, oh, I'm in such a grind period. It's hard. And it's so I think people like to also see that others are grinding and others are um, having struggles and to relate. So I try and be really real about that. I speak a lot about mental health. I, I deal with anxiety and I've, I've suffered from a burnout before. So I'm like really open about that because I think that there's a stigma around that that is true for both the entrepreneurs, but also for, for my teammates, like, you know, we talked about rising up to the equation and like pushing our limits and but that comes at a cost, right? Like I'm sure everybody on your team was really tired after you figured out that product, right? So how do we strike the balance of, you know, we're going to push our limits, but like if your limit is reached or you're feeling like you're almost there, like let's have an open dialogue, like let's not get it too far, right? Um, and I feel like that in itself, like to know that I can stop, um, to know that I can say, hey, okay, this is too much. And I give myself that permission 
usually also helps with dealing through that time. So yeah, I'm, I'm just super open about that. Love to talk about that. And I think it's helped create more of a relatable like culture for, for sampler. And I, that comes out a lot in our, like in our interview process, people are like, I follow Marie. Uh, like Marie seems like she's a like genuine founder that cares about her people because she speaks openly about stuff like this. And um, so I don't, I didn't do it for that, but it's paying off. Yeah, um, yeah I think, it, yeah. yeah, that that authenticity. And, and this is like, I encourage a lot of founders, um, just from my own experience over the last couple of years on social, like just be yourself. And, and because everyone mm-hmm. has the same dilemma, oh, I'm, I'm not, my story is not interesting. And I'm like, well, as entrepreneurs in general, every entrepreneur's story is interesting to other entrepreneurs because they're just learning, right, to exactly. themselves. And, and even if the learning is, oh, I feel some of those same things. I have anxiety. I have I, I have imposter syndrome feelings, but I'm not going to tell anyone about it. And then uh, and and then seeing other entrepreneurs share it openly gives them permission too. And uh, and you could see that's why some of those shares are um, very impactful. You know, there's a lot of engagement around it compared to, hey, here's our business and here's the greatest thing we're doing today in our business, and it's, it, which can feel more like an advertisement to to to, to on social mm-hmm. than than actually like, hey, what's going on in the uh, in the founders or the executives' uh, life? So I think you're doing a great job. I think you should just you know do do it's it's more how, how do you do more of it and yeah and, and stay in that kind of uh, uh, authentic space and um, yeah and and frankly like as we build like as we built our marketing team the marketing team has been even like leaning into it and and supporting me with that. Like, I'd say like, we've been focused on other things the last few months, but like, there was a time where I literally was like, okay, like, get the thoughts out of my head and like, help me create a concise thought. (laughs) And I worked with the marketing team, um, because that's what they're good at. So I, I don't think it needs to all rely on the founder, right? Like, I think that I would certainly encourage people to make thought leadership part of the marketing plan. Um, And yeah, that's a great share. Yeah, not not every founder needs to be the content creator uh, when they have a team that's uh, that and I think and and what you just said there, it's, you know, need a uh, you need a system right you need mm-hmm. to turn it into a system or a process i've learned a lot about it myself you know just writing uh writing my book over the last year and 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 working and interviewing and pulling out these these thought leadership moments um make it a lot a lot easier to expand on that and so like long form short form a short social media post yeah do you have any um regular routines that uh, that you believe make you a better entrepreneur so I've been very irregular right now. Um, we just, on the personal side, moved into a new place and then the pipes burst and all this like crazy stuff. So um, I'm off routine. So I just want to be genuine about being off routine. Uh, but my ideal routine uh, would would typically be to, to uh, wake up slow, hang out with like, hang out with my baby and like take, take, um, some time to kind of rest into like set into the day. Um, and then in the evening, uh, meditate to turn off from, uh, from the day. Um, and then I want to try because my son is, um, starting daycare tomorrow. I want to try to do lunch with my husband every, 
day or as many days as possible. So those are those are my hopeful goals. Mike, I will be honest, I've been completely off my game. <laughs> wow, that's okay. You know, it's, uh, it's not a it's not about perfect. It's about practice. So being yeah, clear, being clear in the mind. and it's different for everybody. You know, I, I, uh, I I've been one of my routines I'm trying to get into is like uh, ice baths lately because it it, mm. makes, it makes me feel so good. Um, it scares the hell out of me constantly to go and do it. Um, and but when I after going in for two, three, four minutes or whatever, I'm a new person and I feel like I can attack any challenge in the day if I can go and and, and do that. Uh, and and so, but you know, it's not about you know. Am I doing it all the times that I, I want to be doing it? Not yet. You know, yeah. Is- and to my left, I have like my meditation area covered in boxes. So this is the visual, uh, the visual representation of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mentioned it a little bit on, on your, uh, uh, you know, with your involvement with Scout, but what is, what does mentorship mean to you? Um, ha- have you, have you had, you know, a specific mentor or mentors that have helped you out? Uh, talk, talk to me about mentorship. Yeah, so I actually have a mentor group and like, and um, they typically are like, I tap into them for like different um, reasons. So I have an incredible mentor who comes from the retail side um, and now works in a retail technology and he's like a killer CMO. And so I meet with him every two weeks um, and I just talk to him about uh, go to market and um, share I share a lot back and forth on like what's going on as far as trends because as I mentioned earlier I feel like right now the market is shifting so much so like how could I tie on to those that is a recurring uh, like 45 minute 30 to 45 minute chat um, it's in both our calendars but if we don't have anything, we just cancel it. So it ends up being typically like every month or something that we end up chatting. And then I have a really, really strong COO uh, mentor who, uh, you know, is really strong at fundraising and investor positioning and that type of stuff. And uh, with him, I speak about like my board meetings and stuff like that. And then I've had a coach, um, which uh, is really, really cool, like um, set out, like with the right format, we would set out, um, I I don't have one now, because he was he had to stop. And so I need to find a perfect other one. But the, the like with the right format, they just hold you accountable to your goals, right? Like, hey, Marie, you said last week, the top three priorities would be this, like, where are you with that? Like, or hey, at the beginning of the quarter, we said like X teammate um, you're struggling with right now on the communication side. Like I want to hold you accountable to fixing that. This, you know, so it sounds really lame to need to have that. But like when you're when you're an entrepreneur, like no one is holding you accountable. Like uh, your board is once a quarter, but like I hate to say it, but like you could sound really convincing <laughs> to the board without necessarily having been true to like everything you set out for yourself. Right. Um, so I, I've liked that approach. Yeah. Uh, no, that's a good chair. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think a coach, um, you know, I've been doing some coaching. Uh, I've learned a lot about coaching hey, and just you, every athlete, every professional athlete in the world has a coach. Why? Cause you, yeah. you need someone to spar with you to make you better and like challenge you on, okay, 
um, you're here and what's the next stage of growth and, and, and that's what you want. And then, and then hold you accountable to actually doing those actions. And, and, uh, I think that's, uh, that's key. And I, it sounds like to that from a mentorship, you're, you're in that time, um, because of the scale of sampler of like, uh, uh specialist mentors that, um, which mm-hmm. is what I found as well. You know, you have your marketing person, you have your ops person, you may be, you know, some entrepreneurs go in and a sales uh, person that is kind of has the focus right to, of where their business is at or has been, has done that before. Um, and those are, those are critical to, uh, to get to the, uh, to kind of, to continue to scale. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's because the reality is every two years, I find that the company has scaled so much that now is about scaling me. Like it's like, if I want to be, get their company ready for the next phase, I need to learn. And like, and I think that's the only reason that I've continued to love what I do is because I've like, I can turn back and be like, holy crap, like I raised a really big round of financing. Like I did that or like, holy moly, like we expanded internationally. Like, um, but I had no idea how to do that. And I just learned as I went and I'm not working on a different problem. I'm not building a new business, but I'm building new skills. And so I owe it to myself to like be well accompanied or like uh, supported in that right lifelong learning lifelong growth (laughs) that's what uh that's what keeps us uh keeps us thriving yeah um if people want to uh connect with you what's the uh, what's the best way uh linkedin marie chevrier schwartz um is probably the best way and then if you want free samples um you could just go to sampler.io um it's uh it's free stuff (laughs) that's awesome. That's awesome. And we'll, I'll, we'll put a link uh, to both uh, uh, awesome. in the uh, in the show notes. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us on the show, Marie. Really uh, appreciate your time. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to the Founder to Mentor podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check out the links and resources in the show notes. You can help the show, please, by subscribing and leaving a positive review. As always, feel free to get in touch with me on social at Mike Fada. That's it for now. See you next time.